It is well and truly into the Christmas season, so has everyone got their Christmas decorations up? Yes, okay. I mean, we've not really got an excuse to not have it up yet. We are well and truly into December. Our Alpha table has had a conversation about this for many, many weeks already. Um, But me and my husband, Chris, we have a few traditions that we do around the Christmas season. And one of them is to go away on a little getaway for a couple days before we get into the family frenzy time. I'm going to say it's a tradition. We've done it once and it was really good. So I'm just going to say we're going to keep doing it. Hint, hint, Chris Collinson. Um, But there are a few holidays that me and my husband have had the privilege of going on to over the last few years. And one of them stands out in my memory. It was actually in the New Forest. And it's one of those kind of picturesque hotels that you drive up. You've got the deer leaping around everywhere. You get into the hotel. There's like a wood-burning fireplace, a leather armchair. You sit back, you relax. Ideal. And I remember waking up on the first morning and we were deliberating what to do about food. Now, if anyone knows me at all, they know that I have a slight obsession with food. I spend a fair amount of my time thinking and planning and preparing and eating, more importantly, food. So we were talking about what should we do about food this morning and we ended up going into the local village and we bought some kind of picnic stuff, some hummus, bread, went back to the hotel room and it was all really nice. We kind of made ourselves a little picnic in our room, looked out and onto the deer and it was a nice moment. The morning after was actually Chris, my husband's birthday. So we thought, seeing as it's a special occasion, let's just go all out. Let's go to the hotel restaurant, get a three-course breakfast. So we went downstairs, and to my absolute joy and delight, there was like genuinely this table with like a mountain of hash browns, crispy, golden, perfect. And then on the tables, there was these little pots of tea with individual little tea cozies and little teacups. And then I had genuinely the best pancakes I think I've ever had in my entire life, and I've had quite a few of them. So we sat there eating our food and I I did not hold back on how much I ate. So we got through quite a few different courses. And by the end, I had that sinking feeling knowing I've probably racked up quite a bill. Oh no. So we went to check out. We got our expenses for the weekend. And I was looking down the list of everything that we'd paid for, everything that we'd bought over the weekend. And I thought, oh no, the the breakfast's not on there. I think I've done that thing where you leave the restaurant and you've just, just not paid. So being the honest person that I am, I went to the receptionist and said, you know, can I pay here or do I need to go back to the restaurant? What do I do? So she looked it up on her computer and thought, oh, well, actually, and she said, I think you've, you've booked a two-night all-inclusive, so you've got all of your food already paid for. And I was like are you kidding me? (laughs) You're telling me that I sat upstairs yesterday eating hummus and bread when I could have been down here eating a mountain of hash browns. It was a gutting moment. I mean, it was, I think Chris can attest to, an awkward journey home. I did not get over it very quickly or very graciously. What felt like this nice moment the day before eating our hummus and bread suddenly felt really pitiful in comparison to what I could have had. And I feel like this is sometimes how I approach Christmas, that I come into the season of Christmas and I'm easily contented with the events and the gifts and the sacred two-week teacher holiday. But what I want to do this morning is be a bit like that receptionist, to offer news of a banquet that is freely available to everyone, and that is the outrageous love of God. Are we coming into this season eating our figurative hummus and bread? 
Or are we joining in on the outlandish feast that is on offer to us this Christmas? So I'm going to attempt to talk about the three ways that God shows his outrageous love. And the first is that it is initiated by him. The second is that it includes absolutely everyone. And the third is that it invites us to a new way of life. I'm going to try and talk about this through probably one of the most beloved and well-known verses in the Bible, but hopefully we can see something new and something fresh in it this morning. So let's start. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. This isn't something that starts with us. This isn't our great idea, but this starts with God. He gave his love to the world. We aren't sitting there kind of trying to pull Jesus down, thinking if we work hard enough, if we play the part, if we come to church and do the right things and say the right things, maybe Jesus will come for us. No, in fact, this was something that happened before we were even born. Before we did or said a thing, Jesus came for us. At Christmas, we see this incredible picture of the God of the galaxies, the God of the universe, the God who aligned the planets and came up with string theory and Milankovitch cycles, sorry, geography nerd, and perfectly balanced the axis tilt of the earth so that we had biomes and ecosystems, so that we had migration and, and various different biodiversity across the world. Again, geography, sorry. But this is, the, this is the God that we worship, the God of the universe. Yet at Christmas, we hear a story of how he comes into center stage not sitting at the sidelines of your or my story, but he comes into the mess and the brokenness of humanity. And he displays his humble and persistent and eternal love for us. He comes humanly, completely, God incarnate, so much so that he would be called God, Emmanuel, God with us. Wherever you're at this morning, however you feel, how, whatever you think about God, God wants to come into your story, into your context, into our reality and display his love for you. About a year ago, my, I did ask permission to share this story. Um, about a year ago, my sister broke up with her boyfriend. And I remember I was in Sheffield at the time, just visiting some friends. And I got the phone call, and she was just crying down the phone and telling me what had happened. And I just remember, as she was talking to me, my heart was breaking for her. And all, the only thing I thought was, I need to go up to Edinburgh. I need to be with her. I didn't care that it was going to be astronomically priced because it was in the middle of the Fringe Festival. I didn't care that when I arrived, she was a weeping mess. I didn't care that I'd have to reschedule my, my plans with my friends. I didn't care that she couldn't cook or, as I know I care a lot about food, but I didn't, for that moment, I didn't care that she couldn't cook for me or that she couldn't host me as well as she usually does. I was so compelled by my love for my sister that I had to go and be with her. How much greater is the love of God? He is so compelled that he goes. He sends his son into the center of our story and displays his outrageous love to us. 
The reason this is great news is that God's love for us is not dependent on how we are or how well we perform or how much we can ready ourselves, ready for his arrival or fix ourselves up or host him. It's based on him alone, his consistent love that will always be available to us no matter how we feel, no matter how broken we are. So my question is, do you know that? Do you know that God loves you? This, this feels like a simple question. And for some of you, it might be a question you've asked yourself for many years and that you've grappled with. And for some of you, it's the first time you've thought, does God love me? The God of the universe that designed you and made you, who knows you better than anyone else, intricately weaved you together in your mother's womb and knows every hair on your head, he loves you. He is so compelled by love that he comes into your story. And some of you may be sat there thinking, okay, great, you know, Juliet, you've said, God initiating love, God coming into my story, you know, that all sounds well and good, but I don't feel like that. I don't feel like God is speaking to me. I don't feel like he's there. I don't feel like I'm hearing from him. Well, there's this bit between the Old and the New Testament where there's 400 years of silence, where God doesn't seem to be saying very much. And I love it because this is the bit just before the Christmas story where Jesus enters the scene. And at that time, the Jews were were feeling like God might have abandoned them. They were feeling like they were just having a really hard time, if they were honest. And some of you might feel like that this morning. And the great news is that the end of that 400 years, God showed that he had a plan the whole time. And that was to send his son, Jesus. He never forgot his people. He never abandoned them, but he has a plan. And that is true for all of us this morning. If you feel like you're in a season of waiting, if you feel like you're not hearing from God, then he has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you and he will come for you. As a stealing from a little quote from Johnny last week, if you feel like you're waiting, there's hope in the waiting. So the first reason that God's love is outrageous is because it is initiated by him, not us. The second reason that God's love is outrageous is because it includes absolutely everyone. Going back to our verse, for God so loved the whole world, that whoever believes in him. It doesn't say, for God so loves the super righteous or the insta-famous or for God so loves the people who come to church even. It also doesn't say, for God so loves the people who look really trim on a Sunday morning and do their best to kind of pray for people. It just says God so loves the whole world. The challenge for me is that means that God also loves the Marmite lovers and the tea haters and the roller coaster lovers, hate roller coasters, and the tie tapas haters. For God so loves the whole world. It also means for God so loves that person at work that just really gets on your nerves. That person at Christmas that just won't make the gravy right and it's grinding your gears. But also the people who've let you down the people who might have hurt you. For God so loved the whole world. This is a love that includes everyone. And that also means that no no one is an exception to that rule. No one here this morning is an exception to that. 
about um, a couple of years ago, I went to a wedding and it was one of those perfect days where it's kind of a bit breezy, sunny, and I was outside playing croquet on the lawn, not my usual activity, but I gave it my, I gave it my best shot. And uh, I remember, actually, it was quite unusual because I got quite a lot of airtime with the bride and groom and, and got to chat to them quite a lot and got to know the groom's um, kind of siblings, parents, you know, really got some time with the family. And they had that time where they say, come into the venue, find your seat, and you have this incredibly floral typography written out thing where you can barely read the names. And I tried to find our names down the list and thought, oh, you know, I think I ended up asking one of the ushers, actually, could you help me find the name because I can't find where I'm sat? And then suddenly got that sinking feeling, oh my gosh, we're not actually on the list. We're not invited. We're not supposed to be here. Let's go. And uh, I actually spoke to the bride a few months later and she said that she'd noticed, but she just didn't have the heart to tell me that I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> Bit of an awkward moment. But who knew there was a difference between a wedding breakfast and a ceremony? I mean, that was a learning moment for me. I just thought if you're invited, you're invited to the whole thing. <laughs> but the great news is that when it comes to God's love, it is an invite to all. Luckily, there's no fine print when it comes to the love of God. You don't have to read if there's a loophole or you don't have to double check. Am I actually invited? Is this really for me? If only they knew what I did yesterday or how I treated that person the other day. If only they knew what I was thinking right now. Surely I would be disqualified. But there is a seat at the table and your name is on the seating plan chart for every single one of us. Philip Yangtze wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, really highly recommend it. And he spoke about how, as humans, that we're accustomed to finding a catch in every promise. Just simply through being humans and living the lives that we do, that we get battered and bruised by life. And we have, we have experiences where we might have been let down or we might have had some kind of fine print that we maybe didn't check, such as myself. But what we see in Jesus is the, this extravagant grace where there is no catch in any promise that he makes. There is no loophole. We don't have to check the prime print. John 3.16 says that you are included in the love of God for he loves the whole world. At the beginning of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, it gives you this kind of long, complicated list of names. And this is the bit where if you're doing Bible in a year, you sometimes might skip because you have no idea what it's talking about and get onto the good stuff at Christmas. But I think there's a reason why this list of names is there. And it's essentially a family tree. It's called a genealogy. And it shows who Jesus' family is. And you would think, okay, Jesus, you know, the son of God, he's a pretty big deal. He's probably going to have a really important, um, a really impressive family, some kind of kings and queens and people who've, you know, done incredible things. And sure, there are some people in his family tree that are amazing, but there's also some pretty ragtag people in there. There's some people like Abraham, who's full of fear. You've got Jacob, who's deceitful. You've got Rahab, who's a prostitute. And Tamar, who ends up sleeping with her father-in-law. I mean, this is a long line of outsiders, outlaws, and scoundrels that are in his family history. And the great thing about this is if you feel like you are an outsider, if you feel like maybe you haven't hit the mark, or maybe there's some things that you're ashamed of, then you fit right into this family. This isn't anything that Jesus is ashamed of, but it's in the Bible. These are people who are included in the family of God. 
And if we fast forward a few chapters into the Christmas story, you've also got some pretty unlikely characters in there. You've got the wise men who aren't Jews, unlikely characters to be at the centre of a Jewish story. You've got the shepherds who are seen as second-class citizens. Again, you wouldn't expect them to be the person who gets the birth of Jesus announced to them by angels. And then finally, you've got Mary. You've got this teenage girl who isn't at the height or the heart of Jewish culture and tradition, yet gets chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah. Little side story is uh, when I was at school, I was actually a wise man. I was very excited, got the beard and everything. And uh, then I, as I was kind of getting my costume on, my sister got called up and got told that she was going to be the star. I thought, well, that's not fair. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you feel like you are broken, if you feel like an outsider, then you are part of this family. For God so loved the whole world. Romans 8 verse 39 says, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all of creation. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. No disqualifier, no disclaimer, no fine print. He loves you. So the first reason that God's love is outrageous is because it is initiated by him. Something that comes from God, not based on you. And it includes absolutely everyone. You are not disqualified and those around you are not disqualified. And finally, God's love is outrageous because it invites us to a new way of life. Again, going back to our passage, it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because of God's love coming into the world, there is this move from perishing into life, from death to life, from darkness to light. If we allow it, and if we allow God's love to enter our lives, it changes everything. When I was in my second year of uni, I remember um, hearing about this group of Christians that were like these like super Christians that did everything and volunteered for everything. And they lived in this kind of community house and shared everything that they had. And I ended up becoming friends with one of these people. And uh, she ended up inviting me to a sleepover. And I thought, I'm in, yes. And I ended up packing my bag, genuinely bought new PJs for this and got like, my glamorous all you know, ready for the sleepover. And the morning I woke up, I mean, this isn't a pride moment, but we're all family here, let's share. Um, I remember waking up in the morning and going down to the lounge, opening up my Bible on the sofa, propped open the door just wide enough so that people could see as they walked past, and uh, just waited for people to wake up. I had zero intention of reading that Bible whatsoever, but I just thought, this is what Christians do, right? They sit there in the morning, read their Bible. I mean, we've all been there, let's not lie. When it, comes to, when it comes to God's love, it isn't something where we have to pack our best bag, go for a sleepover, put our best on and pretend like we are acting the way that we think that we should act. What actually happened a few months later is that they invited me to live with them. So I rocked up with uh, four carloads of stuff and a van. I mean, it was not small. And they graciously let me, kind of help me unpack all of the cars. And I remember one of them sitting me down in the kitchen and saying, 
Jules, we've, uh, we've noticed that we think you're a hoarder and you probably need to get rid of about 90% of this stuff. This is as they bought like a lamp that was shaped as like a seal with like a broken bulb coming out the top of it. And I was like, mm, probably, you're right, yeah. So my experience of living with these guys over that year actually changed me. Not only did I learn how to probably live a bit more frugally and get rid of some of my rubbish, but I also learned how to cook for more than just myself, how to be generous with what I had. I watched the way that they spoke about people and I learned how to speak well of people when they weren't in the room. I learned how to read my Bible instead of actually pretending like I was reading my Bible. When we live with people, it changes us. When it comes to God's love, we are invited into a life of love, not a fleeting fellowship, bringing our best to the table and leaving unchanged. We are invited to live and dwell in the presence of God, knowing daily that we are loved by our Father. When we live in the love of God, we watch the way that God operates, we read about how Jesus treats people, and we allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. When you know that you are loved, it changes the way you do your finances, it changes the way that you speak to people, it changes the way you prioritise your time. And I can personally attest to the fact that knowing that I am consistently and persistently loved by the God of the universe changes the way I operate on a daily basis. It gives me the boldness to tell the students that I work with that their lives matter. It gives me the peace that I need when I'm in situations that are just really hard. It gives me security when people let me down. I am loved by the God of the universe, and that changes everything. Knowing that there's nothing I could do to earn or deserve this, but it is a free gift given to me. That doesn't mean that we become passive. It doesn't mean that we just stand there letting God love us, but it does mean that we're active in receiving that gift and unwrapping like we do at Christmas time to unwrap the gift that God has given us. Are we going to do that this morning? Are we going to receive the free gift of God's love and allow it to change the way that we live?